Hey guys, do you like books? Yeah, I love books. You love books? Yeah. Do you like Bob Inc? <laughs> I love Bob Inc. Yeah, even better. Well, I would certainly hope so, or you're on the wrong podcast. Do you like books by Bob Inc? They're all right. Definitely. Well, then you're in luck, or should we say Providence, because we're about to do our first ever Bob Stakes giveaway. Bob Stakes? Bob Stakes giveaway! Bob Stakes! Bob Stakes! Bob Stakes! I love a good steak. It's not steak, but it is a book by Bob Inc. As a thank you to all our fans and all our supporters... We're going to be giving away a copy of Herman Bovink's The Sacrifice of Praise. So, Mark. Yes, sir. What do we have to do to get a chance to win this book? All right, Bob Squad. All you need in order to get this book is you need to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and be a follower of our Facebook page. Complete those two steps by June 25th to be entered. We will draw a winner and announce it on Bobcast episode 13, which drops on June 29th. That is the Bob, Bob Stakes giveaway. giveaway. Open to continental U.S. only. Bobcat. 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 Bobcast. This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bobbing. Thank you for tuning in to episode 11 of the Bobcast. I'm Andrew Smith. I'm Mark Scaturro. And I'm Caleb Castro. We're pressing on today in chapter 3 of Herman Bovink's The Wonderful Works of God, beginning near the top of page 18. Let's dive in. Well, going on, continuing there in that, that last little paragraph before the break there, knowledge of God is possible, therefore, only on the basis of a revelation from God's side. A knowledge of God is available to man only when and insofar as God freely chooses to reveal himself. In my margins here, I just wrote, how does the person that identifies as spiritual but not religious, how how do they think that they know God? You know, it's that, that quiver in the liver, you know, that, that tingle in the spine, that, oh, hey, I, if I think that there's this ethereal being that justifies the reasons why I think the way I think about the things I think, there's no real revelation there. There's there's no real relationship there. Spiritual but not religious is nothing. That's just man's folly. That's man entertaining great things because he wants to try to entertain great things and justify himself in doing so. Well, and to press that point even further, what is the hope in that? Right. Spiritual but not religious. What is your hope grounded in? I mean, what can you have more than, I guess, some naive general optimism that, well, I guess I'm a good person, even though if we're honest, we all know we're not. And so I guess things will just all work out for me in the end. Right. It's fooling themselves into believing that what they're doing is right and good and true and beautiful, as we hear about in Bobbing so often. Yeah. And that that's what uh, circles us back around to how uh, Bobbing really started all of this, this chapter and really how he started with man's highest good. Knowledge of things in creation isn't just an intellectual knowledge and it's not an emotional feeling or a sensation or a sense that comes from within us. It's not an experience and it's not intellection. It is ultimately God. It is God that so freely chooses to reveal himself in the ways that he has. And the ways he's done it is by displaying himself in creation for us to ponder on those things and then to also 
make himself known in his holy and divine word. Amen. And uh, I think Bob Inc. here, uh, after that asterisk, after that uh, break on page 18, gets a little bit more specific in the ways that God shows himself, how he reveals himself in the world. He starts off there in that paragraph, this self-disclosure of God is designated by the term of revelation. These indicate that the revelation does not always take place in the same way, but that it comes in various forms. As a matter of fact, all of the works of God, whether of word or deed, are constituent parts and elements of the one great comprehensive and always continuing revelation of God. And so he's saying that this revelation is in what God says in what he does, what he's decreed, what he's declared about creation and over creation, and then how he interacts and acts in that creation. God is entirely active in the way he engages with what he's made. Right. And that's what we hear about whenever you're reading a systematic theology um, or, or some other book by whatever. It doesn't have to necessarily be a systematic theology text. But this is this is what they're talking about when you hear and see the word providence. And he's made that providence very clear, you know, uh, that next sentence there, the creation, not only creation, not only the sustaining uh, and the maintaining of this, uh, this world and this life through Christ and the rule of all things, but the calling and leading of Israel, the sending of Christ, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the recording of the scriptures, the word of God. The sustaining and propagation of the church, this church that was started many, 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 many years ago and still goes today. These are altogether ways and forms by which a revelation of God comes to us. Right. And and in this, we see that God shows us his character. We get to know more about our God, our creator, our sustainer through looking at what he's done before. He is acting in history and, and all of these things point to the kind of God that he is. And that provokes a response in us to Heidelberg Catechism question 28. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. Right, and then he sums everything up beautifully there at the at the end of that paragraph. In this sense, everything that is and everything that happens can and ought to lead us up to the knowledge of him whom to know is life eternal. Life is knowing this God. And I don't know about you guys, I came to the faith later in life, but knowing this God and having this relationship, this life is so much more rich than it was beforehand. And not only that, but we have a hope for things to come. And that, especially in these weird times in 2020, is such a blessing. Well, just by way of contrast, like I came to the faith very young, but I've known a lot of people as I've grown up, people who I was in church with or whatever, they're not in the faith anymore. They've at various times fallen away. And yet I have found in the dark times in the hard seasons of life, there's such great hope and comfort in this knowledge of Christ. So basically, whatever happens in this earth, you know, at most it's a few decades of hard times and then eternity with this great God who loves us, who desires this relationship and this fellowship with us. And this revelation here that we talk about, it segues, whether general or special, now Bob Inc. is going to move into those characteristics, the characteristics mm -hmm. of God's 
general and special revelation. Bobbink has been hammering this point home. If you have the book and are following along, you'll see that he's constantly appealing back to that this revelation takes place by God in and of himself acting in his own freedom of his own will, his own volition, in his own absolute sovereignty and perfect judgment, his perfect wise counsel in how he reveals to us. He knows what he's doing in the ways in which he uh, chooses to reveal these things for our benefit. But there are still those who who do not acknowledge God for as he is or credit and honor him as the creator and sustainer and the one that acts and provides all this knowledge of creation. Even in the history of our own of our own country, you know, we look at the deists, we look at the pantheists, we look at the Epicureans that we see in our founding fathers. Um, we look at, you know, things like open theism today uh, from the point of view of those whose deity is only an impersonal, unconscious, almighty force or or one that just sets things into motion and just walks away. Kind of that absentee landlord that it may be possible to speak of an involuntary manifestation of that force, but not of any real revelation. For that is an idea which assumes the perfect consciousness and freedom of God. How can a God reveal himself if he doesn't even know what's going to happen or if he doesn't even mm -hmm. know what's going on in creation? Absolutely. Yeah, and you touched on uh, uh, open theism there. You want to unpack that a little bit? I think that's a really interesting point because that is something that is going on today in broader church circles. Well, open theism is kind of like Pelagianism gone gone wild, right? It's, it's this idea of a God who was able to create all things, but he is now left to the effects of his creation. And he's just wondering where all this stuff is going to. This isn't almighty God. This isn't this God who we read about earlier that controls himself perfectly and reveals himself only to the extent of his good pleasure. This this is just another, you know, ethereal being along for the ride. This isn't a God of power. This, this is just a bigger us. Right. He's a God who has to learn and he has to grow and he has to develop and figure things out as he goes along. That's not a very powerful God. That's not a God that exactly inspires confidence. Right. He's a God playing chess. That actually uh, gets into process theology there. Uh, a God that is in a process of learning and understanding this creation. Not just a God that binds and restricts himself in what he can know about the uh, about the world and the future. He doesn't want to know that stuff. You know, he, he, he uh, he's going to let man kind of just do his thing and see how it progresses. And maybe occasionally he'll, you know, throw him a bone every once in a while to help him out. But then you also have, I think, the, the uh, what you might call the naturalist, the secularist, that looks to science and pretty much treats science or man's knowledge uh, or, or, or how man thinks he understands science as being like the God that really uh, goes in, discloses all the information of the universe to us, that really gives us the sense of meaning. Science is the God that reveals to us and makes us empowered. Well, and many in their rebellion have even taken science, which is supposed to be a means by which we know God more and we understand his revelation better and they try to replace god with science they try to say well now that science has advanced to where it has advanced we don't need god anymore exactly. god was just something that the people of the days of old used to explain the things they didn't understand but now that we have science we can explain things as they really are and it's really just a posture of arrogance and of self-righteousness and shaking one's fist in the face of god 
Right, and I think it might have been Peter Berger or somebody along those lines who said that that scientists now are just priests in white lab coats. Yeah, that's that's so true. It's it's really easy to go onto the internet, uh, especially in this time with the uh, that we're recording this with the COVID virus going on, uh, which we we do want to heed some uh, the opinions of doctors and physicians in how to understand some of these things. Right, because there's common grace there. Yeah. There's common grace there. God does use uh, such men and scientific uh, medical knowledge, especially to disclose certain things to us, but they are not infallible. They're not all-knowing, and we can't just look to the scientists for all answers. And any scientist or whatnot, a philosopher that rejects God as a factor in this, though, is, um, I mean, he's entirely missing the mark, however right he might be at times. He continues here. Uh, The last paragraph of this section, the first full paragraph at the top of page 19, Scripture teaches something quite different. Although it is unapproachable, God's dwelling is light. So we see this transcendence of God here. He knows himself perfectly, and he can therefore reveal himself to us. Again, it's all of him. No man knows the Son except the Father. Neither does any man know the Father except the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. So, so we see now how God is doing this and, and, and really how God starts to do this in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're starting to see the terms of engagement, if you will. How do you know God? Do you know God by your science? Do you know God by whatever conception of him you create in your own mind? No, there is a specific way to know God, and that is the Father revealing himself through the Son yeah, and um, th- this language that Bob Inc. uses, God dwelling in light, what just came to mind was from uh, Ephesians 4.17. This I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So when we speak of God dwelling in light, there, there's this huge contrast of uh, the darkness and ignorance that's in man's uh, mind and man's understanding compared to God who knows himself and who reveals himself. He reveals that light. He shines light on the darkness. Well, yeah, too, in the Gospel of John, this whole notion, this whole motif of light and darkness is is throughout the whole book as well. I mean, you got Nicodemus coming to Christ in the middle of the night saying, how must I gain salvation? How must I gain eternal life? You know, Jesus Christ is encountering Nicodemus. And, you know, here you have the Son of God himself, who is the one that reveals the Father. He is the light that came into the world. He is the light that uh, shined darkness among men. Uh, And it is through this Son uh, that the Father is revealed, uh, as Bob Inc. cites Matthew 11, 27. So we've seen the first attribute of God's revelation, be it general or special, It always comes from God himself acting in his freedom. But second, we see every revelation which proceeds from God is self-revelation. God is the origin and he is also the content of his revelation. Uh, Jesus Christ is that ultimate revelation. Bob Inc. adds a a really interesting note there, uh, almost halfway down uh, that paragraph there. But the same is true of every other revelation which God has given of himself. So Christ is the highest and fullest and most perfect of this revelation. But this revelation of God is also true in every other revelation that he's given. These works of nature and grace in creation and regeneration. Uh, So all the things in which God has chosen to show himself, though not in the same extent, are intentional and full revelations of him. 
the revelation of Christ and the revelation of uh, the things that he shows himself in nature are suppressed in the hearts of men. There is a difference between these two revelations, though, this revelation of Christ the Word uh, in creation. The one work tells of his righteousness, the other of his mercy. From the one, his almighty power shines out, and from other, uh, from the other, his divine wisdom. So, so what we see here is that, you know, we have two forms of revelation. Both sides are telling us about who God is and 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 what He has done, and to an extent, right? You know, there are obvious limitations there, but you know, there there is the second person of the Trinity who Bavink here says comes from the bosom of the Father, and and then you have kind of like the artist painting there. Which one is going to tell you more? You know, the co-eternal second person of the Trinity or, you know, that beautiful landscape that God has, has wonderfully made for you. Clearly different things are being shown about who God is through these different mediums. Well, we see this in the beauty all around us. Like, have you ever seen all the colors of a sunset? It calls to mind Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The reason they're there, the reason we get to see them is because they reveal to us something about who God is and they reveal his glory and they reveal his beauty. Right. And, and this is where Bavink goes here in that next paragraph. But all together and each to its own extent, again, there are limitations here. He's acknowledging that, but they declare the mighty works of God to us and, and they acquaint us uh, with his virtues and his perfections, with his being and his self-differentiations and his thought and word and with his will and with his good pleasure. So through these things, God is revealing himself to us. And and this is how we can interact with God, with our God, with our creator. Yeah, they, they both, uh, the revelation of Christ and the revelation of things in, in uh, creation, which are the two books of this revelation, they tell us different things about the Lord and they complement one another. But he goes on in that next uh, paragraph there, but we must never forget of the course of that the revelation of God God, irrespective of the richness of its content, is never to be thought of as being identical with the self-knowledge of God. So even though we come to know God in these ways that he's designed for us to know him, it isn't the same as knowing God as he knows himself in and of himself. Only God knows who God is. It's the archetypal ectypal distinction again that we've talked about before. Absolutely. He goes further on in that paragraph. Those things are only a small part of the infinite knowledge which God has of himself. And j just think about that from, from like an eschatological point of view or, or like a eternal point of view, right? When we die and pass into glory, whenever that is, we get to spend the rest of our days in heaven with this mighty God, with this good God, learning more and more and more about him. And yet never even then arriving at the fullness of knowledge of him. Right. Praise God. That's what we have to look forward to as Christians. You know, I think we can uh, point towards, you know, natural sciences and stuff. And, you know, we, we say, you know, yeah, how, how much can we really understand about the cosmos? How much can we understand about space and about physics? What do we know? What are we wrong about? So on and so forth. But then on the other end, even in uh, Revelation, in Revelation through Christ, uh, us as Christians, you know, um, how much do we understand about the purposes of what God has done, uh, why he's done things he has, such as, you know, the, the question from Job, uh, what is it, Job 38, uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Uh, that, that's another aspect. We believe uh, that the Lord, God, 
made the heavens and the earth, and that we hold this to be truth by uh, what he has revealed to us through scripture and through Jesus Christ, the word. But even then, we don't understand the depths and the riches of God, why he does these things. God has to share his revelation. And we're even then, even in glory, even in heaven, in the perfect eternal age, where all is reconciled, we still will not know God in his fullness in and of himself. And yet we will still have a real and sound true knowledge of him. You know, I hope it's really becoming apparent why Bob Inc. starts with man's highest good in chapter one. Uh, really, this this whole theme, as you've been hearing, as uh, we've been reiterating, he, he's really talking about uh, why it is that we must come to the knowledge of God as our highest good. Its primary purpose is to lead us through the creatures to the creator and to cause us to rest in the Father's heart. That'll do it for today's Bobcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and we hope you'll join us again next time. And until next time, Toadzines. 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 Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bobcast. That's B-A-V-Cast. You can email us at bobcast at gmail.com. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Visit reformedpodcast.com or subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you.